Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and the love of you for the honor of your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Today, I want to talk about being a welcoming people and practicing this ancient art of Christian hospitality. I think one of the scariest moments in a person's life is walking into the lunchroom the first day of middle school or high school. Anybody can relate. You walk into the first day of school and you have your tray or you have your little sack lunch and you are scanning a crowded lunchroom looking for a familiar face. I kid you not, I'm getting sweaty palms just thinking about that moment. Is there a scarier moment in the life of teenagers outside of that first day in the lunchroom? Our youngest son, Dylan, just finished up his seventh grade year and, uh, at Bodie. And after the first day of school, Jenny and I are asking him questions. And, you know, Jenny's asking all the typical questions about your classes, your schedule, your teacher. I had one question. Where did you sit at lunch? Did you find your people? I was so nervous about that moment in the lunchroom. Uh, but he reported, oh, I sat with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Uh, yeah, he was fine. He did good. He's Mr. Chill. He's got lots of friends. He's good. We have within us a sense, a longing, an ache to belong, to find our people. And so today I want to talk about, from Matthew chapter 10, becoming a welcoming people. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending out his 12 disciples. He's sending out the 12 apostles. He is sending them out that they might proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, to say that the gospel has come near. He sent them out and he told them to heal the sick as they were proclaiming this message of the kingdom. So we see in Matthew chapter 10, they were to heal the sick with their proclamation. They were to shake the dust off their feet if a home didn't accept them because Jesus knew that haters gonna hate, 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 but you just gotta shake, shake, shake. So if you don't find your place of belonging, you just shake the dust off and you keep on going. It's in Matthew 10 that Jesus instructs his disciples to be as wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. Jesus doesn't set them up for failure. Jesus sets the expectation bar and tells them that people are going to hate you. They're going to despise you. But Jesus says, don't fear. 
because your father who loves the sparrow loves you even more than the sparrow. So maybe fear he who can destroy and kill body and soul and Gehenna. That's the devil and the, and the means of death. Maybe fear that, but don't fear God. Trust in God. He's going to care for you. And then Jesus makes this provocative statement where he says, don't think that I have come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword which always messes me up. I wish Jesus wouldn't say things like that because that messes me up. I'm like, you're the Prince of Peace. Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he weeps because they don't know the things that make for peace. And well, of course, Jesus wants peace in the sense of human flourishing, but he makes that provocative statement about the sword because he says, if you are going to faithfully walk in my ways and follow me, there's gonna be a sword of division in relationships. Because he's saying, saying to his disciples, if you're going to go my way, if you're going to go the Jesus way, you're going to have friends, you're going to have family. They don't want to go that way. They're going to go their own way in the way of the world. Maybe you've experienced that kind of sort of division, right? With friends that you used to have, but you're like, I'm following Jesus. I'm going the Jesus way. And your friends, I can't go that. I can't do that. I'm going to do something else. And there is an inevitable sort of division. That's the sword that Jesus was talking about. And then Jesus begins teaching that there is a reward for a welcoming people. Let's pick it up in Matthew 10, verse 40. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, said, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Jesus, the son of God, was sent by God, his father, into the world with a redeeming mission. And now we see Jesus sending his disciples. These original 12 disciples were called apostles. And the word apostle, it really comes from a Greek word that means the sent out ones the ones sent out with a mission. That's why these 12 are called the 12 apostles because they were sent out with a mission. They were sent out with a message. And Stanley Hauerwas in his commentary on Matthew's gospel, he says, Christianity is not a philosophy that can be learned separate from those who embody it. If the truth that is Christ were a truth that could be known in principle, then we wouldn't need apostles. Every, every word in that is so powerful, right? Because in one sense, Christianity isn't even a philosophy, it's a way of life. But if you wanna think about this faith that we're in as a philosophy, it's not one you just learn by principles. If God wanted just to give principles, he could have sent more religious texts. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to be the very embodiment of truth that we might see truth embodied in a person. And so Jesus just didn't send more principles out into the world. He sent his disciples. He sent the apostles embodying his message, which is the gospel. And the gospel isn't just good advice. The gospel is not just a set of principles. The gospel is a story. It's the story of God's rescuing and redeeming love in and through Jesus. It's the story of how God becomes king through Jesus. It's the story about how God wants to rescue through King Jesus in his death, his resurrection and ascension. So of course the gospel has to be embodied. 
And today it's still embodied with you. It's embodied within the church. So when you welcome those who are sent by Jesus with a message from Jesus, Jesus himself says, you're not just welcoming Jesus, you're also welcoming God the Father, the one who sent Jesus. Because the Trinity always operates in tandem and harmony together. Right, the persons, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they might have their distinct roles, but they always work in harmony together. So where Jesus is at work, the Father and Spirit are present. Where the Spirit is at work, the Father and Jesus are present. They're all working together. Look at verse 41. Jesus continues, whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. Jesus is offering these rewards. He talks about prophets and righteous people. Let's think about prophets for just a moment. Prophets were sent ones. Prophets were sent by God with a message, not always just to predict the future. Some people hear prophets and they think, oh, they're fortune tellers. They're going to talk about the future. And sometimes the prophets do that. But what we see particularly in Old Testament, with the Old Testament, the Hebrew prophets, is they were often sent with a message to say the hard thing in the hard moment to a people whose hearts had grown hard and tough. So prophets weren't popular because they had to show up with this message from God and often had to say the hard thing in the hard moment. I mean, if, if, if prophets were living today and they were putting their prophecies on social media, they wouldn't get very many likes. Often the prophets were despised and often they experienced threats of violence against them because people didn't want to hear what the prophets had to say. And so Jesus shows up as a prophet in the spirit of the Old Testament prophets. He comes with the word from God, this message of the kingdom. And then Jesus is sending out his apostles with a prophetic message saying that the kingdom is near. And so Jesus says, if anyone will receive a prophet, then they get a prophet's reward. Well, I, I wish Jesus would elaborate on exactly what that reward is. I like to know that. I, I, I am pro-rewarding people for good things, right? One of the reasons I like to run, run half marathons, marathon, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's the medal at the end, right? I like the reward. I'm here for the reward. Rewards are good. But Jesus here doesn't tell us what this prophet's reward is. So if we're receiving the word of a prophet and we're getting a prophet's reward, what can we expect to receive? While we don't know, I think we can look at Old Testament prophets and see at least three rewards that prophets receive. And this, I've kind of pieced this together. There could be more rewards, but there's at least three rewards. So here, here's what I see in the Old Testament as a prophet's reward. Number one is not dying. And that's a big one. Because I told you, prophets weren't popular. Often they're running for their lives. And so living is good, dying, not as good. So not dying. So I, I thought about um, Elijah the prophet. You know the story of Elijah the prophet? 
Elijah was a prophet at a time where Israel was again falling into idolatry. They were led by ungodly leaders. Ahab and Jezebel had led Israel into the worship of a false god named Baal. And so Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal. Elijah was a prophet of the one true living God, the God of Israel challenges them to a showdown on Mount Carmel. And at the end of that, Elijah shows himself to be a true prophet. God shows up. Elijah goes on, executes all the prophets of Baal. It's a great victory. And then Jezebel gets word of what Elijah did. And Jezebel said, Elijah, I'm gonna do to you exactly what you did to those prophets of Baal. And the mighty prophet of God, Elijah, goes running down the mountain and goes all the way down into a valley and finds just a little bitty bush. And he's hiding under the bush, completely afraid. Prays to God, God, just take my life. Because prophets knew this is a part of, you're going to be a prophet. People are not going to like you. But God didn't take his life. Instead, God sends angels to minister to Elijah. And Elijah, as the story goes on, doesn't even see death. He's whisked away in a chariot of fire. So what's the prophet's reward? Number one, not dying. Number two is people listening. A prophet receives a reward when people hear and accept the word of the Lord. And I thought of Nathan, the prophet, in the story of King David with this one. David had become the the mightiest of of the kings of Israel. He was dominant. He uh, had the people's attention. He was mighty in battle. He was a man after God's own heart. But David was also imperfect. David, who was married, actually had two wives, has an affair with a married woman. Now he has this affair, but has her husband, who is a soldier in his own army, has her husband killed. So David is both a murderer and an adulterer. And so God sends the prophet Nathan. Nathan shows up, again, to say the difficult thing in a difficult moment. He has a word from God to speak to King David, who's done these awful things. And Nathan comes up and his prophecy is in the form of a story. Nathan says, hey, King David, there was this rich man. He had all these sheep. He had all these lambs. And there was also a poor guy in the village. And he had only one little lamb. And that rich guy, he came along and he stole the one little lamb from the poor man. Nathan said to King David, what do you think should be done with that guy? Oh, David's like, off with his head, execute that man. And then Nathan looks in the face of the king and says, you are that man. Now that's pretty scary. You're you're speaking to the most powerful person in the kingdom. But Nathan gets the prophet's reward because King David hears and accepts that, confesses his sin, repents of his sin, writes Psalm 51, this beautiful prayer of confession. Nathan had a listening audience because King David heard. That's a part of the prophet's reward when people listen. And the last, I think, of the rewards we see among the Hebrew prophets, and maybe the most important reward of prophets is God's presence with us. 
And for this one, I quickly thought of Moses at the burning bush. So God comes to Moses and tells Moses, who's going to be a prophet, that Moses was going to go to the Pharaoh. Because at this time, the people of God were enslaved in Egypt. They were the cheap labor force for the empire and they were treated harshly and cruelly by the Pharaoh. And so God says to Moses, you're gonna go to the Pharaoh and you're going to say, say it all with me, let my people go. Maybe you read the book, Charlton Heston, maybe you saw the movie, right? Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. That's what God was telling Moses to do. Now, before Moses did that, Moses was like, God, how am I, I, how am I gonna do that? Moses wasn't a perfect person. He had been hiding out for 40 years after he committed a murder. What's all these murderers doing there? I, it's just the story of scripture, all these imperfect people that God wants to use. Moses is like, who am I? He was a murderer and he was a stutterer. He wasn't eloquent at speech. He's like, God, how, how, how am I supposed to stand in front of the Pharaoh and say that? And the Lord says to Moses, this is in Exodus 3.12. The Lord says, I will be with you. God gives Moses the promise of the prophet's reward. And that is the presence of God. So these rewards of the prophets, I believe these are rewards that we can receive if we become a welcoming people. If as a church, we become a welcoming people, I believe we can experience life without the fear of death. I think if we're a welcoming people, I think we can get a listening ear in our community. I think if we're a welcoming people, and maybe most importantly, we can experience the presence of God with us. Now becoming a welcoming people requires a welcoming attitude that flows from following Jesus, who advocated not only for welcoming prophets and righteous people, but Jesus went so far as welcoming sinners and people didn't like that. Listen to what it says in, this is in Luke's gospel, Luke 15. It says about Jesus, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. Sinners wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Gasp, can you imagine that? Religious leaders of Jesus' day were building a purity culture among themselves where they saw all of the world's problem is with those sinners over there. And so they had a, they didn't have a welcoming attitude with sinners, they had a shunning attitude. You, you sinners stay over there. You're, you're not good enough. You're not pure enough. You're not spiritual and moral enough. So you stay over there. But then Jesus shows up on the scene, welcoming sinners saying, you might not be good enough, but I am enough for you. Come on to my table. You're welcomed in with me. Jesus welcomed sinners and infuriated the purity police. How dare you sit with those people? 
But of course, Jesus was known for saying things like, why are you so bothered about picking the speck out of your brother's eye when you got a log sticking out your own eye? Deal with your own business and open up and welcome sinners in. Jesus taught and lived in a way to create a welcoming people who practice radical hospitality. Jesus came doing two things in his earthly ministry, proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom and building a community that was known by radical hospitality. And so for us, we have this legacy of Christian hospitality, which is the practice of making room for the other, for inviting strangers in, inviting people, not shunning people, inviting people into community. And hospitality, well, it, it really is a gift. Have you, have you experienced anyone that you know that has the gift of hospitality? Because some people have the gift and some people don't. Some people just naturally, their, their, their heart and their mind are always drawn to outsiders and, and they, and they want to bring them in. I, I've been trying to practice hospitality, but I don't think I have the gift. I mean, I, I don't have the gift of like Charlie and Ruth Jones. Like they have the gift of hospitality, right? If you've been to Charlie and Ruth's house, they're not here today. Hopefully you guys are watching online. Love you guys. If you've been to their house for a meal, you have experienced Christian hospitality. I, I know I have, except when Charlie picks on me. Sometimes I'm there and he picks on me. I'm like, one time he even picked on me during the prayer. Like he's praying and he's like calling me a sinner in his prayer and God save this. And, hey, I, I take it all as love though. I take it all as love. I've been loved. That's, that's Christian hospitality. I felt welcomed in. So some people have the gift of hospitality, but I think as a people, as, as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, we are really called as a church to practice hospitality whether we have the gift or not. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12. Let me, let me start with verse nine. Apostle Paul is, is describing Christian community, right? And he, he describes it this way, starting in verse nine, Romans 12, nine. He says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another. All right, this is the Christian legacy. We are the people, of course, that hate evil doing. We hate injustice, but we love people. And imagine the kind of community where our love is genuine and real for one another. Imagine the witness to an unbelieving world if they catch wind that there is a community of people who actually love one another and aren't just faking it. Because if there's ever a time for love to become genuine, it's right now. Because you, you know what they're saying about us right out there, right? You, you know this to be true. If you go up and you ask someone, hey, do you wanna come with me to church? And they say, no, I don't wanna go to church. And you say, why? They're gonna say, I'm not gonna go to church because that church is filled with a bunch of? Now, how did y'all know that? Y'all been hearing what I've been hearing. 
This world that Jesus loves, this world that Jesus was sent into and he sent his disciples and guess what? He's sending me and you. This world that Jesus loves thinks this place is filled with a bunch of hypocrites to which I want to testify, have mercy on me. I'm a recovering hypocrite, right? Sure, I've practiced hypocrisy, but I'm trying to follow Jesus the best that I can. But I can start pointing to people within this community who love one another with true, genuine affection. What a witness up against that kind of criticism. He goes on, verse 11, Paul says, never be lazy, but work hard. He's like a Gen Xer talking to millennials. Never be lazy. But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. This is Christian community. We work hard. We serve God with joy. We serve one another. We're patient. We're hopeful. We keep on praying. Verse 13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. And so you're thinking, okay, Apostle Paul, I'm not really good at hospitality. That's not really my thing. That's not my gift. And the apostle says, always be eager to practice hospitality. Imagine a Christian community that's so quick to help one another in need. Verse 13 again, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Unless they need help moving and then you get a little excuse. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Even people asking you to help them move, you should say yes. But I still have a little PTSD because I owned a pickup truck for 16 years. And if you own a truck, you know what's going to happen? Hey, man, can you help me move? Yes, I'm helping. I still got PTSD from helping move like those. Remember sleeper sofas? Do you remember? Someone had the idea of putting a bed in a couch that you could like pull out. Isn't that like the most comfortable night's sleep you've ever had? I'd rather sleep on the ground than sleep on a sleeper sofa. I remember like moving sleeper sofas. And when I was living in Oklahoma, I lived in this apartment complex with seminary students moving all the time. We were moving this ginormous sleeper sofa up three flights of stairs. I got a little PSD. If you ask me to help you move it, I know I'm supposed to help, but I have a little PTSD. But yes, even when that call comes out, we're supposed to help one another. So whether you have this gift of hospitality or not, I believe this is a mark of faithful Christian discipleship that we practice hospitality because this is what God in Jesus did for us. I don't like the model of the Trinity that says, well, you got the Father and the Son and then the Holy Spirit is the bond of love between the two. I don't like that for a number of reasons, in part because it, it, it closes up the Trinity. I much prefer the model that comes from Irenaeus in the second century, where he says that the Son and the Spirit are like the two hands of God the Father. I like that image because I, I see it as God opening God's self to the world that he loves. And of course, it's at the cross. That's where we see at the cross of Christ. That's where we see God opening up to the world 
And that's why we, we pray prayers like, we pray, Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. In Jesus, God has opened up and he has invited sinners and he's invited saints and he's invited hypocrites and recovering hypocrites to come and be embraced with the love of God. God opened himself up and God invites us in. And so we are called as followers of Jesus to do the same, to be the kind of people, to be a welcoming people who invite the other in. And so I think that our posture as a church is best served in this regard when we think about outsiders or new people with this perspective. And it's, it's three B's and it's in a particular order and, and the order is important. I think our posture towards people on the outside or new people should be belong, believe and become. In other words, where we start is belong. What we say to people on the outside is you belong here. You are welcome here. That this people can be your people. Like it doesn't matter what you believe and it doesn't matter how you're living right now. You don't have to get everything figured out before you come. You can come and be a part of this place. You belong here. That, that ache for, for belonging and community that I think was in, in people. They want to feel accepted in a place of belonging. We want to say as a church, this is our posture towards the world. Come and be a part. You belong here. And then as people belong here and make this place both online and in person, their church home, we'll help you with the believing in Jesus. We'll help you with the faith. We'll help you with, with growing and learning and trusting in Jesus. The believe comes after the belonging. And as you are growing in your belief, as you're growing in your trust in Jesus, then you're going to find yourself becoming more like Jesus. That's the goal. Right, But it's not this, these gatekeepers who say you have to believe this and you have to believe that or you don't belong here. I don't see that as consistent with the ways of Jesus. Instead, we say to everyone, you're welcome here. You belong here. Because if we station gatekeepers, how are they ever gonna hear the gospel and be transformed by the gospel and become more like Jesus if we don't let them in? So we start saying, you belong here, then we'll help you with believing. And then finally, you will join us as we're all becoming more like Jesus. As we're becoming more like Jesus, we begin to practice certain things out in the world that really just help people get better. And sometimes they're just little things. Jesus ends in our gospel reading today, Matthew 10, 42 saying, and whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. See, our posture is a sense of openness, being a true welcoming people because Jesus accepts people the way that they are. But we go through this process of spiritual formation where we become more like Jesus so that we're in our neighborhoods and workplaces and schools. We're the kind of people who offer a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. And so church, my question for you is something like this, maybe a series of questions. 
Do we want to be known for who we are against or who we are for? Do we want to be known for who we curse or who we bless? Do we want to be known for protesting sinners who sin? Or do we want to be known as the kind of people who give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name? Do we want to be known as an exclusive people or a welcoming people? As for me and my house, we're going to be a welcoming people. And I believe you want to be a welcoming people too. Amen. Let's prepare ourselves now for Holy Communion. This is the opportunity we have now to respond to the gospel, to respond to Jesus. Jesus extends this invitation, invites you to come to him with faith believing. And the way we respond is through communion. If you're joining us online, you're welcome to participate with us in communion. You need to get some communion elements ready. And in just a moment, we're gonna prepare our hearts by making both a confession of faith and a confession of sin. And then as we invite you to communion, there'll be stations and we'll have ushers directing you. And someone will hold a basket of bread. They'll say the body of Christ broken for you. Take a piece of that bread. Someone will hold a cup. They'll say the blood of Christ shed for you. Dip the bread in that cup. Eat and taste and see that the Lord is good. And we invite you. Everyone is invited because what we say about the communion table, this is not our table. This is not the table of the church. This is the table of the Lord. And so who would Jesus welcome to his table? Answer, everyone. If you're willing to come, Jesus will receive you. So stand up with me. And let's prepare ourselves for communion by making a twofold confession. We wanna first confess our Christian faith. We'll do that using the words of the Apostles' Creed. And then together we'll confess our sins, we'll receive the Lord's pardon, and then we get to come to the table. But join me as we confess our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join me and let's together confess our sins to the Lord. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And the good news is that God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus, 
your sins are forgiven. And now we come to this table saying, this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it is the Lord's will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you.